With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are YWales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, YWales, wherever in the world you are today. So today is February 7th, 2023. Bitcoin is doing its little $23,000 dance. Um, and, and while we're still clearly in a bear market, I think that it's great that we've come up from the teens uh, of, of Bitcoin. You know, we're up in the 20s, um, but we're far from a bull. <laughs> we're, we're into a healthier market, uh, but we still have a long way to go. And the reason why I always want to preface by where the cryptocurrency market is, not because we're talking about a cryptocurrency today, um, but it really does set the stage for innovation um, and really investment in the space. Uh, and one of those the things that's so important is that there's always continued innovation and developers that are constantly working in the space to attract the next generation of entrepreneurs, to attract the next generation of, of the DGENs that don't even know about this asset class today, but they need to, they want to. This is solving, going to solve their problems. And so I'm really excited to say, talk to Brendan from Quill uh, because you know what you guys are doing today is is making that is closing that learning gap and making it so much easier for for so many people around the world that when they get interested in this asset class like they have resources they have knowledge and they have you know systems that that look somewhat similar to something they've seen before versus coming in and going oh my god do i have to start from scratch like i've read the satoshi white paper where do I go from here and so real quick quill before we or uh, sorry brendan before we we dive into quill Let's start with kind of like what 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 problem you were originally trying to solve, um, and how you got into this asset class. Yeah, absolutely. And so first, I'd like to start and just thank you so much for having me. Um, but sort of jumping into the problem and how we ended up here, uh, it's definitely a uh, you know actually it's it's not an atypical story, but um, it's not a linear path either. So I started uh, during COVID. Um, so, you know, uh, during COVID, I was at the time studying mechanical engineering in college and uh, I took a gap year and I was working like a, a full-time job. It was an office job. I was doing like some environmental compliance for a general contractor, um, not really uh, blockchain related at all. Um, and uh, it was while I was working here that, uh, well, so I guess I would spend a lot of my time um, just developing things on the side that I found interesting, that I found fun. Um, and one day when I was just on my lunch break, I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought a book on solidity. Like I would just like walk down aisles and it was usually something programming oriented and I'd just pick something that I thought looked cool and I would just check it out and um, try it out. And so, uh, it was like a December, 2020 when the book I chose that day was a book on solidity. And so I spent probably the next month playing around with solidity um, which, uh, for those, uh, if they're not familiar, it's the uh, main language used for writing smart contracts on Ethereum. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was playing around with that, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, it, was just, it was just nothing like anything else I had done before. Um, it was very much its own unique thing. And so one of my friends in college, um, you know, he so he, he came from China. Um, you know, he grew up in China, and he had to sort of flee to the U.S. Um, you know, it's like he had to seek political asylum in the U.S. Um, and he had been in the U.S. alone, um, you know, like the rest of his family was stuck in China for like seven years or eight years. 
Um, and I talked to him a lot about, uh, you know, censorship and the lack of freedom of expression and communication in China. And so I thought that a smart contract, uh, you know, based messaging platform could be a great way to solve for a lot of the issues with censorship, um, particularly in non-Western countries. And so it started with me first, you know, building this messaging platform. Um, but then we started going down the, you know, the route of where a lot of the censorship that occurs in these countries and why they can't access, you know, something like Twitter or Facebook is because of IP blocking and essentially um, blocking information for being accessed by, you know, people in those areas. And so the project further evolved into us trying to build, or it was really just me at the time, but me trying to build um, a network that was incentivized to serve data and replicate data um, so that, you know, if you were in a non-Western country where there was censorship that you could hopefully uh, try to access data from some node that's willing to give it to you. Now, that is an extraordinarily hard problem to solve, and I was certainly not the person to solve it. Um, but it was while building this that I really got integrated into the Web3 ecosystem. I found my way into Arweave, which is a permanent data storage blockchain, um, and we use that for like our settlement layer for our, for our own network. Um, and... You know, it, it didn't take me too long to realize that while, you know, what I wanted to build was, you know, sounded great in theory, it's really hard to build a business on that. Um, and there was actually at one point a VC partner who was, who was like, I really love this idea, but I'm just going to tell you right now, you are not the one to build this. And he was definitely correct. And so um, that kind of put me in a tough place because I don't like to lose. I don't like to give up. And so all of a sudden I was a solution in search of a problem. You know, I, I, I could kind of see that I was not the person to bring this to, you know, non-Western countries. Um, just as a, you know, at, at the time I was 19, I was absolutely not the person who was going to be able to get that done. And so uh, we started looking for other solutions. And so it started with DAOs. Um, so started trying to be like a replacement for Discord um, where, you know, DAOs could communicate in this permissionless way. Um, but I didn't really understand DAOs. Like most of my time in Web3 had actually been in building you know, the, the technology. Um, the amount of people I talked to in Web3 was really only in the Arweave ecosystem. And so I wasn't, I honestly was not that familiar with DAOs. Um, but, you know, we kept, you know, I talked to a lot of DAOs. You know, we talked to, um, I, I don't even know how many. Um, but there was one DAO we were talking to and um, they, they were building an NFT art gallery. And we were trying to get them to use our, our social platform for their DAO communication. And they did not seem super interested. But I was talking to them about their product and their NFT art gallery, the entire backend for it was on AWS. Mm. And so I was like, oh, you know, why didn't you build this on a data storage platform like Arweave or Filecoin or something? And they said, it's because we can't store and query the data that our platform needs. You know, they couldn't store, you know, user relationships for following each other. And then they couldn't go and get how many, you know, likes a certain NFT had, or they couldn't go and get like a curated feed of NFTs. Yep. Um, and there was sort of like a light bulb moment, moment when I was on this call with this DAO where it was like, well, we have built this. Like, this is what we have. We built this for our own social network, um, but, you know, this can be used outside of that. And so we didn't immediately pivot there, but I did start taking steps to make it so they could start using that backend. Um, you know, that, that is essentially a layer two on top of Arweave. Okay. Um, and we were still building the social, but, um, you know, over the course of the next like six weeks, I think, maybe seven weeks, um, we had a lot of people coming to us and trying to use our database and nobody was coming and trying to use our social. And so it was like, all right, well, we sort of accidentally found this problem of, you know, there are no great ways to store and query structured data in Web3. Um, and so, you know, this was uh, maybe 12 or 13 months ago, but we made the decision to just fully pivot to being a database. And that is, 
uh, sort of a long-winded answer, but that's kind of how I found my way into this space and solving this problem. No, and, and, and that's, it's really like such an amazing story. And, and one of the reasons why I'm so enthralled with Web3 and, and blockchain tech overall is because it's the modular internet. And, you know, it allows for solutions to be, you know, independent of, of other parts of the pieces of the puzzle and intermixed. You know, our wave exists and they still exist and they're going to have a great time existing and building whatever they do. But you're able to kind of, again, as a layer two or almost a, a middle layer, um, you know, insert yourself and solve a problem. Um, you know, now, now you, there's a lot of risks when you're kind of relying on, on one protocol versus the other, but the, but the, point that I made in my intro is this is technology that is prevalent in web one and web two. Like there's not a chance that you're not going to, that you're going to go into a database and not be able to, you know, keyword and tag and, and do all sorts of filtering and, and fluffing that you needed. But in web three, we're just like, did you see that? I put that on chain and it's there and it's done. And like, I'm done and see a good, somebody else will figure out the rest of it later. So I love the concepts of, of you guys being really focused on problem solving um, and not being so focused on like, it has to be this one vision. It's, it's about the technology and the roadmap uh, more than it was kind of the, like that initial theses and, and being able to pivot there. So congrats on that. Um, what was, what was kind of the, the crux, you know, as you, as you, said, we're going to pivot and move over to this. Um, and I'm sure your team was very vested in, in you know, the original concept and idea. What, what was the, the feedback you got it right off the bat? Yeah. So, you know, it's a little scary, right? You know, it's, it's always tough saying, okay, I know we've been working on this for the last nine months, 10 months. Uh, we're just going to throw a lot of it away and uh, focus on this other thing. Um, but overall, the team really did get behind it. Um, you know, it wasn't a decision we made immediately. Um, we, we made the decision because we were trying really hard to get people to use this social platform, and we really couldn't. Um, and despite that, we had people waiting to use our database platform. And so, you know, after six weeks of that, we were like, okay, the writing is really on the wall here. Like, you know, we have struck, we have struck a chord. We have found something. We would be very stupid to not pick up the ball and run with it here. Um, and so, overall, it wasn't too hard to to get the team behind it. Um, yeah, you know our. That is sort of the benefit of having a small team. You know, at the time there was uh, three of us full time, and uh, you know, one other guy, uh, no, two other guys part time, um, and so it was really easy to sort of get everyone on the same page of you know we should do this for this reason, um, and you know everyone also saw the writing on the wall, and so it uh, it wasn't too hard. So describe, just go ahead and into the kind of elevator pitch from end to end. Um, you know what what. Um what your solution does, how it's implemented, and what the end results you know are are, are guaranteed to be or should sure, be. Sure. Yeah. So you know our solution it is a decentralized uh, structured data store, and so you know if you think about ways that you can you can store data, um, you know there's this is definitely a little uh, a little bit of a over abstraction, but um, okay. you can store it in either uh, like a structured or unstructured way. And so an unstructured way you can sort of think of this like a like a folder on your computer, you know. You can, you can make a folder, you can make a folder inside of that, you can store files in there, um, and that's great. And if you know where, where you know, a file lives, you can go and retrieve it from there and get it back and you know, read whatever data is in there. Um, but in the case of what we're building, which is a relational database, data is stored in a table. You can, you can sort of think of it like Excel. Uh, it's not used like Excel, um, but you, know, the, you can visualize it like an Excel spreadsheet where there's rows and there's columns. And what's really cool is that you can write, there's a language called uh, SQL or SQL, 
um, you can write queries to search through that table or several tables um, in different ways to extract pieces of data that you're looking for and also filter out pieces of data that you're not looking for. And so, you know, sort of why this is important in Web3 right now is because of the evolution that we've seen in the space really only over the last, I'd probably say, 18 months. And so, you know, if you go prior to 18 months ago, or maybe at this point, like 20, 21 months ago, um, Web3 was almost synonymous with DeFi. Um, you know, every or almost every major application in Web3 was decentralized finance. And for that, you had smart contract platforms like Ethereum to be sort of the underpinning infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that was great. And that was, you know, not only was that great, I think that was necessary. You know, you need financial infrastructure before you can really build a lot of other things. Um, but in the last, you know, 18 to 21 months, we've seen Web3 grow beyond just DeFi into decentralized science, decentralized social, decentralized gaming, decentralized analytics. And so there are all these new verticals in the space, um, but traditional smart contract infrastructure is not enough to underpin them. And you know, in particular, it's not enough to provide data infrastructure for data that they need to store and query. And so we sort of see ourselves coming into this new role where we have all these new verticals that are beginning to show up in the space, and we are providing critical infrastructure to underpin that. And, and doing it so in a language that a lot of them understand. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we have been, uh, we've been working in-house to develop our own um, SQL-like language. You know, we, we started with just SQL and actually our live product right now, if you go and use that, it is, you know, it, it, it's Postgres SQL. Postgres is like a very popular database engine. It is Postgres SQL, um, but we are, we've begun developing our own language in-house. Um, you can sort of think of it like Solidity. You know, you could write a smart contract in JavaScript, but it's actually a lot harder than if you use Solidity because Solidity, it's made specifically for writing smart contracts. And so as we've sort of taken the traditional relational databases and have expanded their functionality for the decentralized internet, we've sort of found that traditional SQL doesn't quite do the job. And so we've begun building our own language so that we can encapsulate a lot of those functionalities and do it elegantly so that it's easy for developers to understand and implement. Fabulous overview. And I think this is one of the, the biggest challenges that faces our, our asset class, which is that that transition from web two to web three. And you know, it's not a it's not a linear path because a lot of the infrastructure has to be torn down and rebuilt to, to actually get to a true web three world. But we have to start bridging this gap. We have to have, you know, the the database engineers that are behind these, you know, the CIOs behind the Fortune uh, you know, one thousand companies that go. We're, we're testing, we're integrating, we're, we're playing with this because the one thing that's never going to happen, um, at, at least in my lifetime, is that you're going to see all these companies take, take their massive ERPs, their CRMs that have taken a decade to, to build, integrate, and throw those away and just say, we're moving 100% to a blockchain world. So integration and, and the kind of familiarity with, with systems that they already have built in place, they're, they're bulletproof, they're rock solid, and they've made their investments into there, um, both from, a, from an OpEx, CapEx, as well as kind of that, that institutional knowledge standpoint. Like this is that, that layer to start transitioning people and saying, you know what, cool, how about instead of storing you know, your, uh, your, your logos and everything else over on NS3, let's just start getting a few things over here. What's been some of the the, the more kind of I, I think you know unique use cases you've seen kind of flying flying through your uh, forums and database and uh, uh, communities? Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I think to sort of give like an overview of why you would want a decentralized database, 
Um, it's for you know permissionless data rights and mm-hmm. data composability, which is you know you as a developer you can deploy the rules for a game, um, or in this case, it's a structured data store, and you can define who's able to write to it, how they're able to write to it, um, when they're able to write to it. Um, you're able to deploy that, and that now works very similar to a smart contract. You know you don't have to be running the infrastructure for this; um, it just sort of exists forever. And so in that way, uh, you know a decentralized database it sort of acts as a smart contract for data and for you know complex data where a lot of different parties that don't trust each other can converge and use the same data set and you know be writing and reading from the same data set and also be sure that other parties that they don't trust are playing by the same rules and so along those lines we have seen um, a couple of very interesting uh, use cases of this um, so I, I think like a very basic one that um, you know regardless of technical knowledge that I think people would understand is decentralized social mm-hmm. um, so just you know Anything from storing basic, uh, you know, follower relationships to interest graphs. You know, are you interested in blockchain? Are you interested in baseball? Are you interested in, you know, FIFA? Um, and you're being able to store those for different people and then do analytics on those, such as, you know, curate a token airdrop based on a group of wallets uh, interest graphs. So that way, when you're airdropping your token, you know you're airdropping it to wallets that are more likely to, you know, interact with the genre or the type of project that you are building. Um, so those have been like some of the more like, you know, I would say like ones that are uh, don't require too much like, uh, you know, technical uh, deep diving. There's some really cool analytics projects as well. Um, and then an- another vertical that I'd like to talk about for a sec is decentralized science. Um, mm-hmm. This is one that I think uh, just it is very ripe for disruption. Um, you know, if you it really comes down to uh, it's called the replication crisis, and it's particularly prevalent in uh, psychological studies or psychological research. Um, where a lot of you know major studies, and you know, these are studies that were done decades ago, um, they didn't ever end up getting replicated or meaningfully replicated. And a lot of these studies are the basis for a lot of public policy that you know impacts our you know our daily lives. Um, and we're only finding out now, decades later, that these studies you know they might have actually not been uh, conclusive at all um, because they have not been able to be replicated. And the reason that these studies have not been replicated is because the incentives around research funding are not there for replicating studies. It's only for new research and you know trying to trying to push the needle forward instead of proving what we have found previously. And so there are a lot of really cool decentralized science projects that are looking to solve the replication crisis by altering the financial incentives for research um, and you know, that gives us better and more reliable research. And so that is another vertical that I'm particularly excited about. I, lo- I love that one. And you're the first person that's talked at length about <clears throat> decentralized science. We talk about social all the time. But you know, you, you bring up the point that yeah, you can. The monetization aspect of this is that you can poke holes in, in scientific papers with the same level of efficiency that bug hunters have with traditional tech tech platforms today, you know that that there's you know rewards can live out there. The the um, the scientists or or uh, educators can say can see what these are, read the paper, and say you know what let me let me try to to make that happen. And, and posting the results, you know, automatically get get rewarded or validated, and that's what DAOs are designed for. You've you've researched enough of these. Who's who's doing it today that um, you think is kind of leading the way right now? Um, like particularly in decentralized science, mm-hmm. yeah. So um, let's see. There's. I want to be careful of projects I mention here because a lot of them are either still in stealth or they're going sure. through. A lot of them are in incubators. Um, let's see. I'm trying you, to. How about, how about no names and just give uh, overviews of of you know what they're working on? 
Perfect. That's a lot better. Um, okay. So there is, uh, I, I guess there's two I can speak on. And so uh, I, I guess the first one, um, they are focusing particularly on psychological studies. Um, and uh, they, you know, their whole goal is it's essentially creating a betting market around um, around the validity of studies. So, you know, let's say let's say you are the author of a study and you're the first person to do this type of research. And so you publish that and then you say, you know, I you believe your results are correct. And so you say, I'm going to bet, you know, a thousand tokens that, you know, my my results are correct. You know, I, I, I did this correctly. I believe in my research. Um, and so I'm going to bet a thousand tokens. And then, you know, people who funded your study, your backers or your colleagues, they can also say, yeah, I believe that study is accurate and I'm going to back that as well. And then there might be, you know, other people that come along, um, you know, other researchers that say, well, I see some issues with your study. And so I'm going to bet against that. And so now there is a financial incentive for them to prove you wrong. And other people can come in and you know, place bets on this saying, I believe this is correct. I believe this is not correct. And if you know, if they can eventually prove you wrong, or if more people continually prove you right, you then stand to gain more money from this uh, from this system. Um, and so that is one of the projects that's building that is really cool. Um, the second one, it's a stem cell research project. Mm. Um, so um, this one, I know I can't talk like uh, about their. Uh, I, I want to be I want to be careful about what I release because they they're they're in an incubator right now. It's a very very prestigious incubator. Um, that's awesome. I, yeah, I want to be I want to be careful about what I say here. Um, but it's incentivized sharing of stem cell research data. Um, so it, it uses zero knowledge proofs to sort of anonymize um, or pseudonymize uh, the origin of uh, stem cell data. Um, but then it incentivizes uh, you know sharing of that data. Right now, to get a stem cell match, it can cost inordinate amounts of money, and uh, they think that they can get that down to be about forty or fifty dollars per match. Hmm. Um, and that money, instead of going to some research institution that's bringing people together, it's going to the person who is providing the actual stem cells. Um, and so that is the other project that um, I'm particularly excited about. That's awesome. So you, you mentioned uh, ZK proofs and, and ZK rollups, and, and we're you know in, intimately familiar with the technology. Um, how how thorough do you think that that level of kind of like, hey, here's all the information, but you got to trust us? That it's all correct. How, how well do you think that works in a scientific field? Yeah, I mean, in the scientific field, it's tough because I, I, I mean, for one, I'm going to preface this: I'm not a scientist, um, so this is definitely Data a little scientist. outside of my my realm of expertise. Uh, but you know, I that's an interesting question. I, I don't know if there's ever been an alternative. You know, I don't know if there's ever been a like uh, like. You know the scientific data we have right now. You know it, it's the most we've ever been able to trust it. You know there isn't much more validity we can do right now um, without revealing like an entire scientific study. And so where zk proofs are very interesting, and you know I'll say this: I'm not a zk proof expert. You know I really reside in the in sort of like the data storage and sorting algorithms domain. Um, but uh, I, I think what's particularly interesting is that you can prove the validity of things. You can prove whether something exists, whether it does not exist whether you took an action without actually revealing what that is. And so on the one hand, you get to still maintain uh, you know, intellectual property and you still get to um, you know, ensure that uh, you know, what you produce, the data you produced, is still yours and you can control who sees it. But at the same time, people can also be sure that that data is valid, that you didn't cut any corners. Um, and so it sort of removes the need for trust when you can cryptographically verify certain, you know, certain parts of truth. Um, now I might've said some things that are slightly incorrect there. Once again, not a researcher, I'm not a ZK expert, 
Um, I only like work with them. And so, yeah, no, no. And, 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 and you're really, really close. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to correct you on anything because you know, the reality is that the, by the time this airs, the technology is going to shift. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's rapidly evolving. I think more, more so than anything else, you're bringing up a very good point is that I say it all the time when people say, you know, why are you in web three? I said, because it's, it's the most dynamic thing to happen to the planet since the first modem that, that dialed in and, and communicated digitally. Like this isn't an evolution of web two. This is a like, great. We've figured out how to, how to, how to read and write on the web. We've got an entire different, you know, infrastructure now of validated, verified uh, ownership of data and, and, and the validity of data, whether it's for the scientific community, um, whether it's for you know ownership of, of homes, uh, cars, or whatever the case is. And so we really, really, really need to, at this juncture to get this right. And so something like ZK, I, I entirely endorse. I think it's a fabulous technology. It's still missing the nuances of that audit. It's still missing that you have to trust that the people that put it in there and that the, the reasons why it went in were valid in there. So it, it's still missing to me that audit function um, trust, but verify, and we can verify, but only to a certain level. And so I'm really excited, you know, when we're thinking about the things that you're working on, when we're thinking about all these things in the scientific community, you know, we have so much ability to start taking all these assets around the world um, and all these papers and all these books and just saying, we're done with paper. We as a society no longer need to kill a tree so that we can scribble information on it like we like it's a thousand years ago. And so I think that, you know, one of the things I'm getting out of the conversation with you is you're really trying to help bridge that gap as well as being forward thinking about this, this the, the core infrastructure of online storage, which is not great today. It's not. I, it, it, I'm not knocking on Arweave or, or Filecoin or any of these guys. We don't use it, not because we can't query it, but because it's too slow and no one's willing to wait 30 seconds for an image or, or one of our little swimmy whales behind us to load. So, I mean, we're, we're, but we're evolving there. What do you think the biggest challenge, you know, right now facing uh, Web3 is? That's interesting. Um, you know, I think you could ask 10 people that and you're going to get 11 answers. Um, That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> I've asked everyone else today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the biggest issue, uh, this is something that we are intimately concerned about, um, but I think everyone or uh, most people in Web3 are very interested in solving or improving, is uh, Byzantine consensus. So how much data can you come to consensus on in a network, like you know, denominated in bytes or, or kilobytes or megabytes or just you know, some, some measure of uh, size of data? Um, how much data can you come to consensus on per second securely? Um, you know, the biggest limiting bottlenecks in, you know, Ethereum, for example, it is how much data can be, you know, can be piped through that network. Um, and, you know, we have modular blockchains like uh, Cosmos and then you have projects like Celestia um, trying to really standardize this process. Um, but I don't think anyone's really done it right yet. And um, the reason I say that is because I've tried a lot of these solutions and there just hasn't really been anything that has, has done it for Quill yet. Um, but so I think that the, yeah, the biggest limiting issue of blockchains right now is the amount of data you can come to consensus on in some period of time. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we have the speed. Like we know we can move things around the globe plenty fast. We we know that we can store you know almost infinite amounts of data. It just becomes how do you make it work in that blockchain world? So I, I love the concept of you know we got to get more data up there. We have to get and we have to be able to validate and verify it a lot faster. Um, 
you're you're a D, you're a DeFi guy. You're a DGen guy. Do you think that that a public blockchain, you know, like Ethereum or Cosmos or all the ones that you're working on today, do you think that problem solved, you know, from a true decentralized manner, or is it going to take something like a private chain um, to potentially where they they control the nodes, they control, you know, the information? It, it's very S three sounding. So again, the DGens always yell at me about this, but I like to have the concepts because there's a couple different things happening. Number one, there's a reason for a public blockchain and they're fabulous and they're going to exist forever. But the core concept between a private blockchain is you have to solve a singular problem. You have to solve it very, very well and it has to be perfect. You don't get it, you don't get an opportunity for error to say, well, it's an emerging technology. Do you feel like there's a, a, a world in here for both, uh, both, you know, public and private chains or, um, what, what's your thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, I want to be careful on how, how deep I go on this. Um, cause some of it, you know, um, uh, might be releasing a little too much alpha, but I, I, I think it's a spectrum. You know, uh, th- this is um, not a hot take, but I think um, it's you know maybe somewhat unpopular. Decentralization is generally bad, and what I mean by bad is it's it's slower, it's more expensive, it's less efficient, it uses more energy, and I don't think that will ever change. I think centralization will always be more efficient, simply because decentralization you do a lot of the same things, but with extra steps. Um, and so I think it'll be a spectrum. You know, there is a there's a level of decentralization necessary, um, you know, for different applications. You know, let's take Bitcoin, for example. You know, it's trying to be, you know, like, uh, you know, the world's new currency. I think that needs to be as decentralized as possible. I think that's something that you want that to be on the spectrum, the most level of decentralized. Um, but then, you know, let's take the uh, let's take a. I'm not going to use the stem cell uh, research startup that I talked about because they're doing some different things with data privacy. But let's take uh, like a healthcare provider, um, and you know they want to provide ease of you know transfer and access for healthcare data. Well, healthcare data is very sensitive, and you will never be able to get the data security that you can get on a centralized on-premise server on a decentralized network. And so they would probably be looking for something a bit more on the other side of the spectrum, where they're still looking to have a lot of the interoperability and composability provided by blockchains, but they also have to be very careful with who's able to access it, who's able to write data, who's able to read data. Um, and so I think you know, as this space emerges, it, we're not going to see you know, there's Web 2 and there's Web 3 and there's nothing in between. I think it's going to generally be a spectrum where depending on what an application needs, and what um, you know, what aspects of uh, you know permissioned technologies it's trying to relax, um, it will become some level of decentralized. But I don't think it's you know so black or white. I think it's a little more gray. Yeah, and and I love your answer. And we've spent so much time with like Burst IQ, which is a, a chain specifically designed uh, for the healthcare industry, and and they have the ability. He's already you're already looking it up. Um, and so Burst IQ has done an amazing job because they obfuscate the the the, the fields. Um, so you can write data. You have to have the key to be able to expose it because you can't have all your healthcare data just floating around out there. Um, but but the other thing is is because they're a private chain. They can go to the the individual states and and say what is it what do you need to be compliant here because we want to be compliant we you know we we don't want anyone in trouble and certain states certain countries say decentralized this is fine it can't leave our borders so you can only uh, this this data can only be housed on nodes that are within our our country our our state or whatever the case is and and does that mean it's not decentralized because we can we're compliant. You know that that's that's an argument. I'm sure a lot of people would say. You could say no. It needs to be fully decentralized, and anyone should be able to store that data. Well, then it's not going on chain for any any foreseeable future, um, and and that technology will kind of die in the vine. Um, on the flip side, you know, I think it it is really to me the biggest challenges 
is that this will be a world of, of many, many chains, thousands of them, individual chains, public chains, private chains, um, special interest chains, and everything else. So I really get into the what, and that's why I like what you guys are doing. I, I think our two biggest problems right now are bridges and wallets. I think no one's even come close to solving the bridge problem. Um, and the wallet problem is is so far from from anything that even looks like it's usable. And, and that's what it's going to take to be able to say, the technology that you're building today with Quill, um, like it, where is it? it? It's all still out there. It's all still fully flowing. It requires you to go hunt and look for it um, versus, you know, what we're used to today, which is you open a website and it just displays it for you, you know? And if, if you integrate from other sites, it, it, your email doesn't care, you know, what server it's hosted on, whether it's S3 or Azure, it just displays an image the same as your browser does. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, we... There's a lot of steps that uh, that you know need to be taken to get there, and I, I think we're still several years out. Um, but I, I think it'll be gradual. You know, we're starting to see. You know, actually, last year we saw a lot of bridges get hacked for a lot of money. But um, I, you know, I, I I think these things get better over time. It's a very nascent technology, and so uh, you know, right now a lot of uh, trying to find the best way to to phrase this. I, I'm trying to knock it too deep and to provide. Go for it. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't hurt. You can't. Uh, you can never go too deep with us. We're majority degens, but we'll. I'll simplify it for you afterwards. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I, earlier I talked about uh, you know how much data you can come to consensus on. Um, you know the, the amount of bytes per second you can come to consensus on for a single network, um, and uh, essentially using that in a in a strongly consistent system or an eventually consistent system that is you know relatively relatively quick. You know, we, we want we want consistency fairly quickly. Um, nobody has really figured out a secure way to do that in a Byzantine context. Uh, you know, th- there are a lot of people claiming they have, um, but a lot of people that have claimed they have seem to get hacked. And so um, there's certainly nothing I trust yet. And I don't think I personally have the time to go through and you know individually ver- verify whether each solution is accurate. But at some point, I do think there will be a standard for these things. And we're already starting to see this emerge. You know, in Cosmos, for example, we have the um, IBC um, I know Chainlink as well. They're working on CCIP. Um, and so there are a lot of you know, major players in the space really working to solve this issue where we can securely bridge from one chain to another. Um, you know, it's not going to be as much of a closed off, uh, you know, closed off ecosystems where it's hard to transfer between them. Um, it's going to be much easier to, to go from a fully decentralized blockchain like Bitcoin or you know, something like Ethereum where it's still very decentralized. And then maybe going all the way to you know an you know an on-premise or you know I guess not an on-premise blockchain doesn't make sense but uh, a, a blockchain where nodes are hosted you know within borders of a certain country and it will be relatively easy to transfer back and forth on those. I think at this point there is enough warrant for that technology to exist that it will happen. Um, you know the the upside for somebody figuring that out and doing it securely is so massive that I I, I believe it's probably inevitable. Um, we might still be a few years out, uh, or maybe more than a few years out, but I do think it will be inevitable that we have that. Quill, it's been amazing to hear, you know, kind of what you've been working on with Quill. And you know, Brennan, I, what I really like is that you guys are all developers. You know, so everyone in your company is is a coder; they understand that language. And I think in a in a startup, you have to have that common language. And whether it's business, whether it's you know vision, or or whether it's it's code, you have to have that. Like we all understand where it's going because you, as a CEO, like. Here's where I want to go, and they all need to understand that this is where this is what you're doing and where you're going because they all understand that the commonality. 
where do you kind of see the Web3 asset class going? You're, you're, you're relatively new to the space, but you know, you've, you've gone through the bull, you've gone through the bust, you know, and, and now, now it's, we're waiting for the next bull. What, what's kind of uh, got you focused right now on where that's going to be? Yeah. So I, I guess I will preface this with a couple of things. So one, I don't own much like cryptocurrency personally. Like I'm not, not really much of a trader. I don't own NFTs. Part of that is because I, I just dropped out of college. I don't really have a ton of money. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, especially on like the NFT side, um, I don't think I have any particularly interesting uh, insights there. Um, but, you know, one thing that I do think will be a defining um, a defining factor in different assets in Web3 um, will be block space. Um, and I, I think someone, I, unfortunately, I don't have any specific, uh, like a specific like resources or materials or podcasts that he's been on, but someone who talks about this a lot is Chris Dixon from mm-hmm. Andrew Horowitz. Um, a great product to be selling in Web3 is block space. Um, and this sort of comes back to a lot of what we've talked about before. You know, How much data can you come to consensus on? The reason why Ethereum, for example, it, and the reason why it's generating so much protocol revenue is because there is such a high premium on block space. People want to be buying that block space. Um, and so I think the projects that are driving demand in who wants to buy their block space, those are going to be the ones that appreciate in value. Um, you know, in, in this last bull run, I, to be fair, I don't pay a lot of attention to prices or really much at all. But you know, when I would look at prices, I never really noticed much of a correlation between a network's, you know, revenue, um, you know, essentially, t- in in most cases, tokens burned, um, you know, versus emissions and then token price. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it seemed to be a bit more speculative and not super correlated. But I don't think it will always be that way. Um, you know, I think at some point, you know, at, at the end of the day, this you know, Web three protocols, they are a business that is trying to make revenue, and that revenue is, you know, who is willing to pay the most for block space in these applications and in these networks. And so, you know, if I were an investor and I was looking for the, you know, the the protocols or um, you know, the token that I would be buying into next, I would probably be looking for where are people going to want to be building, you know, cuz the the value of building on the same chain. You know, this is the reason why Ethereum block space is so high. Um, you know, one is the security of knowing that that chain is robust. But two is being able to compose with other applications. You know, importing you know application business logic and the state of that application directly into your application and using it with you know no modifications necessary, or you can't even modify it if you wanted to. Um, and so, if I were going to be buying tokens right now, I would be looking what chains are building the most valuable applications that people are going to be wanting to write data to in the future, or that people are going to be wanting to build applications that then write to those other applications. Um, so yeah, I would be looking at the use cases and where are the most interesting projects being built on top of a network. And I think that's really interesting because you're talking about you know layer zeros, layer ones, you know layer twos, and and everything else. You know the the, the core concept is not a Doge. It's not a, a, a something that through you know, sprinkle a little blockchain pixie dust on it in, in your hopes and dreams and, and the price is going to rise, it has real utility and actual real-world value. And I think that's a, an incredible distinction that we don't always hear. Um, you're not a trader, but but you can you automatically have a thesis because that's what you work in and that's what you see uh, the value in. So I love that perspective and insight. Um, Brendan, if people want to know more uh, about you or, or Quill, how can they find you guys? Yeah, so I think the, the best would probably be Twitter. Um, so it's just at Quill team on Twitter, just K-W-I-L team. Um, you can also find us on our website, quill.com, just kwil.com. Um, you can uh, find me on Twitter, Brennan underscore Lamy is my handle, or you can email me, Brennan at quill.com. 
Um, I would probably say the <laughs> I'm probably the most responsive on uh, Telegram or email. So my Telegram is just at Quill Brennan or um, Brennan at Quill.com are probably the two best ways to reach me. Uh, I don't check my Twitter DMs too often. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but yeah, those are probably the best ways. If you get bored, can you just solve that problem, please? I'm I am so tired of having 20 different social things of which I'm never checking. I my my apps are always going. So if blockchain can can do one thing and that's bring all these social networks into one unified inbox, we'll all be very happy and, and you'll be very successful. So uh love it, dude. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. Why Wills? Uh this is Brennan and Quill. We'll see another just really amazing young entrepreneur entering the space. And and I think we're going to be seeing a lot from you over the years. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited to see kind of how you personally grow and evolve as as well as Quill and, and the, the developer focused team that you guys have. With that being said, why Wills? See you next time, guys. Thank you. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.